0: Storing memories to lose them again, you'll forget everything when this whole thing ends. You can't even predict what tomorrow brings, but don't lose track of living in the present. Enjoy.
1: And I'm John
0: Deck. <laughs> God damn it, he's <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> Were you sitting there waiting for me to be about the dog?
1: I was just trying to time it. Like I just wanted to get the exact <laughs> second before it was you. Was fucking spoke.
0: perfect, actually. Well done. Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Verneri, and I'm John Deck. God damn it! Each week.
1: We will malt-mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies.
0: And on this week's episode, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, is anyone? That's right, we're watching Stand By Me from 1986, directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, I think our first Rob Reiner, no? No, it's not. We did Princess Bride. Oh, that's right. You are correct. It is a few other firsts, though. Uh, first. It is? Will Wheaton first? Joaquin Corey Phoenix? Feldman. Corey Feldman? Wait, is it our first Corey
1: Feldman? Is it our first Kiefer Sutherland?
0: And it might be actually.
1: Hmm. Anyhow, uh, our not our first Richard Dreyfus because we did Jaws no, in our first episode. That's right. Our our
0: <laughs> reviled first episode. <laughs> uh, my first time watching this in probably close to thirty years uh it's been at the latest the mid 90s since i last saw this
1: yeah i i watched it a lot uh around high school age and then into college it kind of came up as something that was kind of watched for fun and into it you know paired with movies like the goonies and and stuff you know just kind of feel good fun uh movies that are, are just kind of that classic feel um you know from well i mean the movie was from the 80s but when it was set like well before then wasn't it mhm yeah again it's been a while so i can't quite remember i do remember you know the general premise i remember the characters and the feel of it and i very much remember the soundtrack because at that time it was just a perfect little 10 song soundtrack from Music like from I, I want to say from the '60s mostly, mm-hmm. uh, if not exclusively, and you know Buddy Holly and Benny King and you know like just it was just great. It was good fun, and you know I mean how 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 many other movies do you watch that you could describe as just being fun, classic, great movies where the premise is they're going to go find a dead body?
0: It's wild, isn't it? Like yeah, and you I mean you couldn't make that today like a, a, family at least fun. not about the last 20 years.
1: Like you'd make it but it'd be like some weird little indie horror thing and like it'd be, you know, probably made in Norway or something.
0: Right, 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 right. Norway makes some wild shit.
1: <laughs>
0: that's a fact. <laughs> that's a um, fact. Take that to the bank. Blood Quantum.
1: I'm trying to remember if that's Norway. It's no it's it's Scandinavian, but look that up. That's a Very interesting take on like the zombie genre set in the Scandinavian area.
0: Blood Quantum.
1: Yeah, I'm like 99% sure. It's recent, Uh, it's just in the last year or two, I think. But that's not what we're here to talk about.
0: No, we're here to talk about stand by me. Stand by me.
1: I call it stand by me.
0: Yes. I mean, uh-huh. it, 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 the the emphasis is important based on what part of the movie you're watching.
1: Good point. Let's start at the beginning this time around, though.
0: Yes, I, that's that's the logical spot. But it's kind I mean, of it it starting at the together. beginning
1: kind of starts at the end because it's a flashback. I do remember that.
0: That's true. But it sets up the flashback. So I think maybe... <laughs> it's so wibbly wobbly. <laughs> a little timey-wimey. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, I don't have much else to say about this, because my memory of it is short, given how long it's been since we've watched it, or since um, I've watched it.
1: Let's not belabor the point. Let's jump into the action and watch the Stephen King movie.
0: Indeed. We're going to go and do that. Uh, it's currently streaming on Stars. if you want to watch along with us. If not, uh, just sit tight for a few seconds, and when we come back, we are talking about Stand By Me. John, are you ready?
1: Do boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom,
0: boom, boom,
1: Boom. No, you just can't. I did. Forget it. I just go watch the movie now.
0: You screwed it up. I'm just going to watch the movie. We'll be right back. Do you have squiggles? (sighs) Yes, I do. Excellent. We're off to a great start.
1: We're off to a start and actually we're off to a middle.
0: <laughs> that's right cuz we did the start a fucking week ago. <laughs> like four times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you least. know what? I
0: think that's as good a spot as any to pick this episode back up. Welcome back everybody. Uh we just got done, well, that's not true. <laughs> we watched Stand by Me like at a some year point. ago. <laughs> forever ago uh this episode's super late because we've been plagued with technical issues that we will not go into in depth but suffice it to say uh we're here now and ready to talk about this movie uh for the fifth or sixth time now uh john (laughs) let's uh let's recap what we've gone through
1: I'm scared. I'm scared too, but I suppose we can't live in fear. We just need to move forward. That's right.
0: Don't wear a mask. Don't (laughs) let fear guide you. Please wear a mask. Yeah. So... Social distance. uh,
1: So yeah, Stand By Me. Um, Rewatching this movie was, was a really cool experience, especially... When you think about the premise of this podcast, the Memory Distillery, you know, looking at nostalgia versus, you know, the actual content, is it as good as we remember, et cetera, et cetera. And in this case, I have to say that while I still think it, it's a perfectly fine movie, it absolutely did not capture me in the way it did when I was younger. And why is that? Um, I...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know you said this already. No,
1: I know. That's why I'm laughing. Numerous like, times. Uh, well, <laughs> this is usually where everything starts to melt. Um, no. <laughs> I think the reason for that is there's a lot of idealistic connections within this film of the the different relationships of, uh, among the boys and, and that little group. And as I was growing up, I mean, I certainly I couldn't identify... I didn't have those kinds of groups of friends. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's me and so and so. But there was some part of me that thought it was really cool and I wanted it. And it was like, that's the perfect ideal kind of little rebellious getaway, you know, sneaking away for a a trip down the train tracks and, and all that kind of stuff. But now when I look back on it and I think about how I relate to people and what I think of people and I just think. It, it's just it's just beyond me it's it's a totally different like I know we watch <coughs> movies with you know people of different gender and race and age so it's not like we're always supposed to be and feel that 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 person that we're we're looking at but in this case, I used to very much connect with uh the the instance and this group of people and probably Gordy most of all and now it's like they're just these characters that are far away from me that I'm watching from a distance and don't really relate to. So therefore it comes across as kind of immature and not as interesting. And I'm not as invested in their adventure.
0: And I, I think I can see that. And it, it it's, it, it probably is sort of endemic to kind of the, the, time in which we grew up, like this takes place. I, I, I know we talked about it in kind of previous recordings, but, uh, the late fifties, early sixties, maybe mid sixties, something like that, and so you have a different generation of kids that were they grew up differently than we did. Like you're kind of late Gen X. I'm I'm late Gen X, early Gen Y, and we we had video games and we had uh you know cable and. Mm-hmm. We spent more time inside than any other generation had previously. And so we, we didn't necessarily have the time to form those bonds, the, the same kind of bonds that these four kids have, just simply by virtue of not having to. Like, we didn't what? have to be outside. We didn't have to get out of the house and go hang out with the neighborhood kids. Like, we still did it to, to a point but it we also like hung out at home and watched tv or fucking played atari or nintendo because that's what we had we we had the ability to do those things for the first yeah. time
1: i don't know if if it's because i'm a little older and i was more on that borderline or if it was just circumstance but i think i i mean i did find myself a lot of my younger growing up was spent you know playing outside and and just you know going going out and being in you know for sure, like and, and all, all this kind of stuff, but but no, I know what you're saying, and and you're totally right, com- comparatively speaking. And then so yeah, like, but at least socially and and stuff, I I I wasn't the type that was going to go seek out a, a group of uh, kids my age to go befriend at that time. I was more likely to hide from them.
0: Yeah, I I think I was uh, I, I don't know I, I I was probably somewhere in the middle. Uh like I, I had friends. I had, you know I was friends with some of the neighborhood kids, depending on where we lived at the time. And certainly when we moved to Florida, uh I I had a, a fairly tight-knit group of friends, at least for the first couple of years. But it, yeah, I I I didn't have the same uh experience as these kids either. Uh there there are a lot of things in this movie that uh, a lot of these episodes that we do, we bring up kind of things that are cringy or quote-unquote not woke or or what have you. And some of those things, especially in this movie, I think I'm willing to let go of for the simple fact that it's a period piece. And the given when this movie was – like this movie came out in 86, we, we didn't have the same level of kind of social awareness or or things like that that we have today in 2021 – so it's stuff that I am kind of willing to just sort of look past, simply because of you know when it was like yeah, it came out thirty five
1: years ago. It was set fifty sixty years ago. Yeah, so <laughs>
0: they, throw, they throw the R word around a lot. I am like, Ey. but you know, it's they're telling a story, and it's it, it make it, it it in the context of the story, I get it. So
1: yeah, I think you know what it is is that like even when I was a pre-teen gravitating into teenage years i don't think a lot of the things that uh, appeal to your typical uh boys of that age were things that i was that into including like the i wasn't much of a wrestle around with my friends i wasn't much of a like a rebellious either. kid i didn't i wasn't i mean yeah there was a certain thrill in doing you know little things that i thought were rebellious at the time but like you know, like get in trouble for the sake of getting in trouble. It was like, no, I kind of tried to avoid that because that seemed like a pain. And like, you know, just the things that they played for laughs and the things that they played for for tension and things, they were, again, not quite as relatable or as interesting to me now as they used to be because I used to feel like I was just like one big step away from experiencing adventures like that. Whereas now I'm like, I have adventures anytime I want, and and <laughs> I'm happy with that. And and it's it's because I'm an adult, and, and and so this is like I don't I just don't connect. I just don't have that nostalgia connect like I do with other movies set in time frames that are earlier or movies we've watched, you know, from when we were younger.
0: Well, and th- this I think kind of hits that a little bit harder, even because we're looking back with nostalgia on a movie that we grew up with on a time that we didn't with kids who were probably about the age that we were when we saw this. Yeah. So like there's a whole mixture of things that like some of this is relatable, but most of it isn't because it's in a different time period. And also like, I didn't like touching other people even back then. And I still don't. And you know, it's just like that, that's the whole wrestling around thing that you're talking about. And like I, I didn't get that. And like the hamburger in a backpack thing, I never did that because that's gross. Uh which i will I'll I'll get into that was kind of out of place. And I, I just happened to look at my notes here and I saw hamburger in a backpack. Uh but yeah, I I, I didn't have a lot of those experiences uh for for all the reasons previously stated, so
1: so when we, when we open the movie, is it, uh, I mean, obviously it's, you know, what's his face, Richard Dreyfuss, who is the, in this movie, he's the advanced the writers, Gordy looking back on this experience. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and is, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I know, cause it feels like we're talking as though we just watched this, but it's been like, you know, over a week now, um, in that very beginning scene, is he looking at like a newspaper article because one of the kids died? Was that yeah, what that? yeah, it's
0: an it's an obit for uh for Chris. So it was uh, for
1: Chris. Okay, that's what I was wondering because just that that poignancy of of River Phoenix having died after this. I I know I'm late to the game. Of yeah. course, this was a long time ago. But just watching the movie now, knowing that in fact that he actually was dead, and we're watching you know him as one of the the main characters in this. And so that was a interesting dynamic as well.
0: Yeah. It turned into a sort of meta thing, although he, and he he died years later, you know, not many, many years later, but it was, it it was definitely uh, a a couple of years after this, at the very least, he was uh, in his twenties. But yeah. So uh, for those of you who didn't watch, a quick rundown of sort of the, the series of events, uh, it starts off how John says with you know, Richard Dreyfus looking at the the obit and then re, sort of recounting the the, the the last adventure of his true boyhood uh, where he and his friends go to find the location of where this you know, other kid their age uh, died and kind of the misadventures or adventures and, and the growth and learning that they go through. Uh, Richard Dreyfus narrates this movie as he's credited as the writer because I guess that's what Gordy becomes but he's narrating it as Gordy he is talking about his experience and kind of the 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 things that are going through his head as we're watching uh Will Wheaton as Gordy kind of move through the movie that's not to say that there aren't uh other great actors and, and characters in this like we I had to actually look this up to see who it was. We have uh, uh, Chris O'Donnell in this, or not? Sorry, not Chris O'Donnell. Uh, shit,
1: Jerry O'Connell. Jerry
0: O'Connell <laughs> <laughs> has Vern Tessio in this, and I'm like, that's not fucking Jerry O'Connell. And yeah, it is. Uh, and like I, I mean, I recognized River Phoenix, and I recognized Will Wheaton, and I recognized uh Corey Feldman, but I was like who's the fourth kid? And it's fucking Jerry O'Connell. I was like, holy shit. Uh, And then other (laughs) like more recognizable faces, like the aforementioned Richard Dreyfuss and Kiefer Sutherland is in this. So uh, a, a, a pretty, pretty good cast of characters.
1: Yeah. The, the casting uh, of course was great and good fun for, for everything, you know, for everything that it was. But I think even in these, these various actors of different, levels of goodness or greatness they were also limited by the script and the nostalgia and like it's this weird fine line between yeah at some point if you're setting something in the 50s or you know 60s and you're trying to have that like old school bad boy kind of vibe like you know with Kiefer as the you know the the bad boy leader <laughs> of this gang but it's like you, you, if you push just a, a hair too far, then it becomes like a, a cheesy knockoff send up of, you know, the, the type of, you know, like grease kind of gang or something. And it's just like it just it plays around on that line. And it's like I can forgive it and accept it for what it is. But I'm I'm in no way like I don't feel menaced by Kiefer Sutherland in this. Because he I feel like he's just playing this
0: role. Right. And I, I kind of feel the same way. And the one thing that kind of took me out of the moment was these, you know, six or seven kids, you know, late teens all giving each other uh like brands. Yeah. With this razor blade, these Cobra uh brands with a razor blade like permanently scarring their, their arms. Like, come on. This is, I, I get that that's something that happened, but you're not you're not selling it as a like a a ritual or a rite of passage or anything like that and so it kind of took me out of the uh out of the moment there
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of that kind of led to the build-up of of you know gordy where he gets to the point where he pulls the gun on him and you know like that like that works. That tension. That standoff.
0: That standoff like, was very believable.
1: Yeah, but like almost everything else, in terms of all the 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 buildup and little cutaway scenes and the mischief and all this, it's like okay, whatever. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> well, so here's here's
0: where here's where you and I probably differ on this. Is I I feel the same way, but differently. And here's what I mean. We we get these sort of larger than life moments or things that aren't entirely believable or maybe, you know, kind of detract from what we think a story should sound like or or, or a a film should look like. But we're also kind of getting this as a secondhand account. And or, or a first hand retelling, maybe is a better way of putting that. Yeah. So this is Gordy telling the story of him and his friends doing this thing, and also the story of, you know, Kiefer and his gang doing their thing. Uh. And obviously, he's not, A, he's not there, but B, these larger than life moments that are happening with him and his friends they're 20 or 30 years on. And so yeah, like, yeah, no, I you know, get it. it, it we, our, our memories get fuzzy and we kind of add and remove bits and pieces of, of things. even as, as we do, when we're telling stories to our friends or when we're recounting something from the past to a loved one, we, we omit things or we embellish things. And it's just the, the nature of telling a story.
1: So what you're trying to say is that Richard, Dreyfus as the grown-up Gordy is not actually a good writer. And in fact, we see no evidence <laughs> that he's actually a good writer. We hear Chris tell him he's a good writer. That's we, true. He he tells the story, the piting story, which I guess, you know, maybe if you're twelve or, or whatever, that would be like hilarious and amazing. But like his recounting of it, you know, is like people you can reminisce about yourself how you like, and you can romance yourself as a great writer whether you are or aren't and so it's kind of if we're going to go ahead and and be a little meta anyway then i can help feel better about this myself thinking that we have to listen to this grown-up gordy tell a story as a quote-unquote writer writing a story about the body and you know like this all, all the 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 language and the send up of the, the gang and Kiefer's, uh, I don't even know his actual name. And I forgot in the movie, but like that, his character and that gang and all is all kind of like built up and told like a a person telling a story, like not just any movie with a screenplay where someone's telling a story, but like a, you know, a person telling a story of a story. And so like that, that copy of a copy thing happens and it can Mm -hmm. get degraded. So yeah. Okay. I'm okay with it now.
0: Ace Merrill, of is course, the it character. Is. Of course, that it's Ace Kiefer plays Ace. Uh, you know, I love him in this though. Like it, even the the parts that aren't entirely believable. Like I I think he's he his his approach to the character is fun. And I th- I think that you know, given what he has to work with, I I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, like, given all that, like he was perfectly fine, at, and like I have no doubt that. Almost anyone else playing that part, like, would have not been able. It would have been worse. <laughs> you know, it would oh, have been yeah. cheesier. He has he has a built in intensity that I think works. You know, you you definitely can see the tiny little seedling of Jack Bauer. You know, before he becomes <laughs> super intense and broody and just a little more. Or even uh, what's face in Lost Boys? You know, like you get to see some well, I, of that menacing charisma.
0: And I was just I was just gonna bring up Lost Boys because like you. I, you could absolutely see, you know, bits and pieces of Kiefer, and or I guess this role in other roles that he's done, but if you took any, like say t- you took anyone else from Lost Boys, like say you took um, uh, uh, Bill uh, fuck, what's his name? Bill Nighy. No, not Bill Nighy. <laughs> um. Alex Winter, you know, you couldn't put Alex Winter into that role and and have the same kind of uh, effect or gravitas that you barely
1: make him. Bill,
0: <laughs> so two things that I had forgotten about, uh, and I, I brought one of them up already. One is the, the 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 hamburger in the backpack. I'm honestly surprised that they didn't get sick. Like, he goes and buys his hamburger and puts it in his backpack, and then they walk for another six hours. And then decide, oh, we're going to make camp and we'll make this hamburger now. Like, there's such a thing as foodborne illness and you should not not in the 50s. Oh, you're right. Things were purer in the 50s. Plus, why would
1: you want to include that in your story? I mean, we've already established we're we're. We well, have to. We're we're beholden to the whims of the narrator, and he probably could just leave that part out.
0: Well, right, but he's already telling a story about a, a very large man in a pine eating contest puking all over the place and making everyone else puke. So, how far fetched is, is it that he's going to tell a story about the kids that he's, you know, walking the tracks with? also fucking vomited and shit themselves because they ate bad hamburger
1: yeah but it's like selective heroism it's picking and choosing the things that will build like the thing of the pie eating contest with you know the guy throwing up everywhere that was to demonstrate that he was an amazing storyteller and that everyone loved his stories when he was there gotcha and like the whole thing with the leeches and all that that's all like kind of weird scary gross out stuff but it leads up to him being traumatized to the fact he's not going to take anything anymore from anyone and that's what leads him standing up to to ace you know and so like it all builds up you know the, the the character in the story but if it was just yeah we got the hamburger and well wouldn't you know it you know once everything settled down that night we were just sick all night like <laughs> no that's like you know uh knows? Plus, it was so little; they split it between them. It probably wasn't quite enough to get him too sick.
0: Right, that's fair enough. Uh, the, you mentioned the other one that I'd forgotten about was the leeches scene, uh, which was hilarious. the The whole, the way that that whole thing played out, right up through him, like looking down into his shorts and going, "Oh no!" and I have a leech on my junk, and pulls the leech out and then passes out. Like that entire sequence, I think, was just great. <laughs>
1: I, 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 mean, yeah. I, I can't. I wouldn't describe it as great because it was mostly just me going.
0: Uh, <laughs> but that's the that. But it served the purpose. That's the the element that makes it great. You can even if you've never had a leech on you, you know what leeches do. Like they grab onto you yeah. and they suck your blood. And so the the whole entire they're they're wrestling around and then they you know they they find oh you had this thing on you oh no you have this thing on you and they're like they're trying to get all these leeches off it it was it was zany zany was almost like um like a benny hill thing almost (laughs) (laughs) you could have thrown that music on it and it would have it would have been perfect
1: they could have sped it up just one and a half times and had them (laughs) running in circles around each other yeah you're right um so I think you know my my minor frustrations are. are I'm pointing them mostly at Richard Dreyfus, and I like, <laughs> I kind of, I, I just don't want to. I don't accept him. I don't. I reject him as grown up Gordy. As, as grown up Gordy, I, I I refuse to accept. I I I choose to not uh, you know let that be in my head for for who grown up Gordy is.
0: Well, then I think maybe it's time. Dream! For a little dream casting, uh, I think maybe we need to. Since this movie came out, oh, you know, thirty-five-ish years ago, maybe maybe we don't go quite that far. But they're tell- so Richard Dreyfus is telling the story twenty years on from when it happened. So maybe we go there. Maybe we recast twenty-seven adult years actually versions. Oh, is it twenty-seven years?
1: Which is almost the exact amount of time. Not exact same amount of time, but it was. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. Please continue. Edit no, that no, part out. <laughs> no problem.
0: Uh, you, you interrupting bastard.
1: Uh, let's. Uh, I hardly ever interrupt.
0: That's true, except for those two when times you just did, and now too. So let's <laughs> cast us some adult versions of the. Oh, we'll say the main four kids. So Teddy Duchamp. Uh, Teddy Vern Tessio, Gordy Lachance, and Chris Chambers. Where should well, we start?
1: And, well, what I, I love, too, just to set this up as well, is a lot of people have probably seen the the recent uh, remake of It.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: made by Stephen King, of course, and Stand By Me is based on the short story The Body by Stephen King. So there's this parallel, like It Part 1 and Part 2, you have them as kids, and then you get to see the actors that were chosen, you know, to play these kids as grownups. And it's like, we're almost doing that now. Like if we had a, a a sequel, you know, that, you know, we'd have to work on the actual screenplay to what the sequel is and why they're getting back together, but we could figure something out. Sure. And so this idea of, you know, casting not just any actor to play this role, but like who, who would we imagine could play a grownup version of that of that character. So yeah, I think this is fun. Who do you who do you want to start with? So
0: and we're going modern, right? We're going today actors. It's not like we're looking at yeah. you know, people who were today. In, in their thirties. So here's yeah.
1: well and this is no right. We're doing modern and today. And like honestly, I, I think Chris was the easiest character for me because all the other three are actors right now who could be playing these roles as grown-up versions and that, of themselves. That, that's
0: a fair point, but I I, I went away from that. I, I, I stayed yeah, I did away too. from those three. I went
1: a totally different way. I went with people who I could really feel that these characters could grow up into and play. But I did have the easiest time disconnecting from Chris Chambers, and so I think we should start with him.
0: Okay, so who did you land on for Chris Chambers?
1: Um, I I want a little direction with him. Someone who could bring some of that intensity, who could bring some of that—that that, you know, stare at the camera. And he's sensitive, but he's also kind of hardcore. And I went with Matthew McConaughey.
0: Okay, that's a little older than I went, but
1: uh, I went with I went with mostly actors in their forties ish.
0: See, I went thirties because I I, yeah. I felt like like that was a little bit closer. But that's okay. I think Matthew McConaughey could definitely. Bring what River Phoenix brought to the 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 kid Chris Chambers as an adult. So I think that's really good. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll I, have
1: we're doing this for the benefit of our audience. We're, you're doing the '30s and I'm doing the '40s actors. It's just so they have different flavors. I there think we go. We're, we're very caring.
0: So I went with Freddie Highmore, uh, mm-hmm. who you might know from like The Good Doctor, because uh, I, I I felt like he. I, the way that I pictured Chris growing into an adult, before, obviously before he uh, he met his demise at the end of a knife, uh, I I saw him as sort of a, uh, a, a, I, I saw Chris's story as one of like redemption, like he he grew up in this sort of I'm I'm destined to be this screw up or this kid who's never going to get out of. Castle Rock, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm never going to make anything of myself. And he, he keeps talking about it, like, oh yeah, I'm going to take the, you know, the dumb kid classes, and you're going to take the, you know, the the college kid classes, and that's where we're going to split and whatever. Uh, I I see him, uh, becoming sort of a, a a redemption story, and I think Freddie Highmore could probably do that.
1: So you picked a British actor in his twenties.
0: Yeah, well, is he he still in his 20s? I thought he was like 30. Well, anyway, uh, let's go with... Let's go with Vern next. What do you have for Vern Tessio?
1: For Vern... So, uh, again, it's funny because we we saw these actors as kids and we we know how they turned out. (laughs) So, (laughs) even if we're not casting... It, it was a little bit hard not to think about the way, like, a lot of movies, like like It, for example, you might have some kid who's a bit chubby or out of shape. And then uh, as they grow up, um, they grow into their bodies and they become, you know, fit and, and handsome, even if they were kind of like dorky rejects when they were kids. So, like, that that process, I feel, is fair. And I think, in this case, it would work well, and so, for Vern's character grown up, I picked John Ham,
0: oh, okay.
1: I thought uh, he could bring the vulnerability of someone who has some you know shadows of being scarred as a kid and stuff and and he's kind of you know built and and rugged now, and he could be intense and kind of funny, so he just brings a lot to it, I think
0: no, I like that a lot um my my Vern went a little more obscure. Um, I want Jesse Plemons, who you might know as Todd in Breaking Bad or yeah. uh, Landry in Friday Night Lights, because I I feel like Vern f- would have grown into his body, but probably wouldn't have grown into his brain. Like he would have remained sort of this <laughs> kind of space case dumbass, and I think Jesse Plemons can can bring that, and he he can really own that sort of. Not dim wittedness, but like almost sure uh, uh, innocence, I guess. Like he, he would have that kind of like unassuming nature.
1: Yeah, I, I could definitely see it. It, it. I have to break my like mind of thinking. You know, just physically, like I wasn't thinking in that direction, so I have to kind of shake my head around and, and rethink. But in terms of what he could bring acting wise and and like that that wide eyed naivete element, you know, into it as a character, I think he would sell really well. So yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't discount John Hamm and by any means. Like I think John Hamm would do that just as well as Jesse Plemons. just I, I mean, of course, a of course my picks than, better. Of course, absolutely. As I'm just trying to usual. better. But thank you, uh, <laughs> Teddy Duchamp. I had. <laughs> uh I had Seth Rogen
1: Interesting
0: Uh um, I I think that he I I see Teddy growing up as in, in, into this sort of ultra sarcastic mm-hmm. uh kind of uh yeah I would say ultra sarcastic kind of kind of dickish person and I think Seth Rogen can do that very well I had
1: two people i couldn't decide from who couldn't be more different okay (laughs) i'll tell you i'll tell you who's better yeah well it also has to do with the kind of screenplay we're working with okay is is it going to be focused more comedy is it going to be focused more like serious but with little little bits of irony and and comedy and darkness you know like where's gonna fall because i could see I, i i picture a young Corey feldman and everything teddy was at that time and yeah i agree he could grow up to be like this kind of sarcastic wiry little smart ass kind of person mm-hmm. or maybe he kind of switches roles a bit with Vern, and he grows up to just be just kind of a, a goof off doesn't take things seriously he's no longer like psychotic and and manic in that way but he's just like over the top hilarious like A a loose cannon but not like in a dangerous way okay so so the two people i pick are either will ferrell or edward norton Mm. and they're totally different and it's all about what you want that character to be when he's older they
0: are very different i i feel like i like ed norton better for Mm -hmm. that Uh, on the surface at least I, i think that if if he leans if teddy were to lean into the the jokester uh the side of himself i think that that's when the will farrell would come into play but i i definitely my my first impression is to like the ed norton uh yeah. side of that a little bit better
1: yeah i kind of lean that way too just in terms of physicality and the manic darkness that he could bring to it. Like so yeah, I, I could see that.
0: Alright, well we're down to Gordy. Uh how how confident are you in your Gordy?
1: This is another one where I had two, but they're not different. They're just different takes on it. I have like I have like the perfect pick for a simulacrum of who I think, you know, this Gordy would have grown into. And then I have an actor who I think would bring the performance that I want. So it's, it's two, two interesting choices, Mm. but I think you should go first on yours.
0: Okay. So for Gordy, I had Daniel Radcliffe. Hmm. Um, I, I, I like Daniel Radcliffe for this, uh, mainly because he, he can play the more sort of like subdued or, or at least the, the, the least, uh, caricatured, of the the bunch,
1: and you like to bring young British actors. Yeah, I mean, British actors tend to play Americans better than <laughs>
0: Americans do. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, obviously he can he can also like run around like a wild man, waving a gun, as we've seen in in some of his other roles. <laughs> but I think that he can uh, he can definitely do the the more chill, uh, you know. I'm a dad and a writer.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd give him a chance.
0: Uh, who did you have?
1: So, in terms of just physicality and growing into the role and all, and the person who I think no one would question the casting for this, I was thinking Justin Long. Oh, okay. Because as a, a grown up Will Wheaton, like Will Wheaton has kind of turned into a, a, a version of Justin Long. Okay, maybe not, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, Justin, who has probably is more famous for his, like, super goofball kind of roles, he's had a couple of films that, like, he's been a little more uh, interesting and intense and and, and can bring uh, a straight edge to characters. He's not just kind of a a fumbly goofus, Um, (laughs) although he does that, you know, nervous bumbling thing pretty well. To a T.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, But the person who brings the right heart to the character, who I'd like to see Gordy grow into... Um. And again, because Richard Dreyfus horrible choice. He just ruined the movie. See, I but like,
0: don't feel that. No, way, I, know. But...
1: I know. I just felt that as the premise. We got to pretend like he ruined it, so that we could justify this. Oh, casting. there we go. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Fuck, um, fuck you, fuck you, Richard Dreyfus. Uh, no, but I could just, really. Just kidding. We love you, Richard.
1: I I could see uh Mark Ruffalo playing this part.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: because he would just have have the right combination of. Uh, the sensitivity and the ability to be intense, you know, whenever needed, and so yeah, I think that would that would be the way I'd want to lead that way.
0: I could get down on that. I like that a lot.
1: Plus, you then you'd have a movie with two incredible Hulks in
0: it. That's true. So, <laughs> I should have made Eric Bana. You should have uh, made uh, Eric Bana. Chris, as Chris Chambers. Chambers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'd had the trifecta. Uh, oh, and then get um, uh, what's his face? Lou Ferrigno as for Vern. Vern.
1: As the big dumb guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm forty. <laughs> no, you're clearly sixty-eight years old.
0: No, I'll bench press you. Uh, I want to talk real quick before we go about uh, one one thing that I I noticed as far as symbolism uh, was particularly the tracks the railroad tracks themselves Mm -hmm. um so they were they were there was sort of a dual symbolism there of both safety and danger like if you stay on this path uh this is this is leading to death uh this path but there's also a sense of if you stray off of this path you you don't know what out what's out there and you know this is what's known versus what's unknown. Like when they divert into the woods or into the, the junkyard and have to kind of fend off whatever is beyond the tracks.
1: But it's interesting that, that concept the duality, as you put it, 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 it kind of embodies if we are continuing that trend of being a, a bit meta here of the, of, of the way, you know, when two things can't exist you
0: know oh the uh, other out paradox
1: paradox that's the word oh god so you know you bring up the the duality aspect of the tracks and stuff and i think that's kind of that that paradox of coming of age you know that idea Mm -hmm. of you know do i follow this path do i do i you know follow the road that's been laid out before me by my parents and society, or do I make something of myself? And it's kind of like the answer is yes and no. You know, it's, it's, there's, there is that safety and danger in both things. So it's, there is no clear cut answer of this is the right way to do life. It's more of a, you're going to have, nothing's perfect. If you, follow these tracks and stay on them you may get run over by a train but if you don't follow this path you could get lost and you know killed by leeches you know it's like (laughs) there there are many different ways to go many different ways to to deal with life so i think that's kind of a fun metaphor built into the very concept of the movie of the safety that traveling in that way brings but then obviously as we see the uh (laughs) the the Ferocious near deathness of it.
0: Yes, yeah, agreed. And and I, I to, to expound on that a little bit. Like I, I really like how it's sort of their first truly adult decisions that they have to make on this journey that they're taking. Uh, you know, do do I stay or do I go? Do I you know stay the course or do I you know go go another way? And so it's it's very cool. I I, I liked that part of it a lot. Uh, I
1: caught Fleetwood Mac uh, and the Clash references yep. in the last sentences. There
0: we so. go. Uh, and spe- actually, speaking of music, there's actually a lot of really great music in this uh, the, this movie. We talked about that was one of the reasons why we even wanted to do it is because the wait. Are you segueing to
1: talk to... about semaphore? I'm not. We, we, I can, I can <laughs> leave
0: that to you. I just usually you handle the music part, but I really did want to just kind of. Touch on it very, very briefly, and say that the the music in this movie is very, very cool. Uh, it, it was nice to sort of be taken back to that time uh, musically.
1: Yeah, I think I even mentioned this in our little pre-recording. Just I don't that, know. that that was that was like a month and a half ago. So. That was like fourteen years ago. But like, <laughs> but no, I, I I couldn't agree more. The it's a it's a short, quick soundtrack because back in the day, ninety percent of songs were like two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and so it's I. And this is honestly, I'm not even looking at anything. I just know it's a ten-track, you know, album that's about a little over thirty minutes long. Because I remember having it and listening to it, you know, because it was just a fun little soundtrack, a great segment of, of music, you know, selection from the time, and and it just, of course, helped cement your your mind into the right place uh, in this
0: period piece. So yeah. yeah, Uh cool. Well, with that, John, we made it. We finished the episode, finally, Well, a week later.
1: We haven't saved anything or uploaded anything yet. We'll see what happens. If you're if you're listening to this in 2021, we succeeded.
0: Yes, that's correct. Uh, that is our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week as we distill another favorite from our past. Hang out with us every Monday as we listen to movies that we grew up watching. Uh, You can catch us on Google Podcasts and Spotify and Apple and uh, Stitcher and all those different podcast apps, or you can go to tmdpod.com. All of our episodes, or most of our episodes, a lot of our episodes are (laughs) there. John?
1: I I couldn't agree more with one of the three things he just said. But that being said, uh, as you all know, Anthony and I are post post Yep, and that, that's if you a,
0: that, don't that's a technical know, term. But John, why don't you break down what that technical term means?
1: It's kind of a Greek slash Latin term that means that we're very close personal friends with Buddy Holly beyond the grave. And one of the things he said was. I'm honored one of my songs was chosen for the soundtrack. And you should also listen to Destroying the Evidence by Semaphore, because it's a great song to be included in the Memory Distillers podcast. And I was like, buddy, Holly, that's a really weird and specific thing to say. Also, I'm scared because you're a ghost. And um, (laughs) I think you all know what the moral of the story is. Don't talk Uh, to ghosts. And and email us uh, at thememorystillery at gmail.com when you do, because... Anthony loves ghost stories.
0: I do. They keep me up at night because I get scared, but it's still fun.
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, like Anthony said, stay tuned um, because we're going to have some, uh some more great movies on, on the March to 100, which uh, is a couple away from a hundredth episode, which Jesus. is really bizarre to say. Uh, and if we remain alive and our equipment doesn't melt into a puddle of wires and plastic on the ground, uh, we'll, we'll keep doing it. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and I am John Deck,
0: and I'm Anthony Frenieri, and this has been the Memory Distillery. Stay classy, stay. Castle Rock.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Got it in one.
1: No, that that's really good. I feel I feel that that catchphrase ending is always gonna work. I know we've played with some different options, but
0: I think that's good. We got to we got to stick with our roots. To come back to Stay them, so. classy <laughs> <laughs>